0: Okay, we are going to look at chapter 2 today through chapter 4 of the book of Exodus. We're going to cover an early portion of Moses' life. Uh, In fact, the first 40 really is pretty significant in that it's not given much thought, although if you watch any Moses movie, they seem to know everything about what happened to him during this time period, okay? Okay. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but we want to see what the Scripture says. Now again, because of the length of the section that we're going to look at, we're not going to read these verses. We're just kind of going to go through them with you. And uh, so we're going to talk about his birth and protection, first of all. We're going to see that in uh, the first uh, ten verses of chapter 2. So his birth and protection are listed in... Chapter 2 in the first 10 verses. So first of all, Moses was born to a couple from the tribe of Levi, and his mother hid him for three months, all right? Moses was born to a couple from the tribe of Levi, and his mother hid him for three months, so, first thing you need to recognize, so when you see the story about him being placed in the a, in a little ark and put in, he's not a newborn. So the mom, doing as other Hebrew women did at that time, hid their babies. Because of, you know, if they were male, they were to be thrown into the river. So, I guess it got to the point where she couldn't hide him anymore. And if you think about it, you can hide a baby because they're not they're, they're not moving much. But when you get to the three month point, what happens to babies? They want to start what? They want to start crawling, you know what I'm saying? They're you know they're moving, so you know it, it's getting to the place where she can't hide him anymore. So when the mother could no longer hide him, she put him in an ark that's basically a little boat by the riverbank. So she built a bulrush and daubed it with asphalt and pitch so she made she put some serious effort into making this little boat for him and put him by the riverbank. She didn't just set him adrift in the river, she put him by the riverbank, okay. Now, Moses' sister, who we'll find out later is her name is Miriam, stood afar off to see what would happen to him. So, Uh, you can almost guess that mom had the sister, the older sister, just keeping an eye on him. Did you understand what I'm saying? Keeping an eye on him, what's happening there, all right? So this is the story so far. Now we're going to talk about Moses' protection. We see this in verses 5 through 10. So this is where it's interesting. The daughter of Pharaoh went to the river to bathe, and discovered the ark. The daughter of Pharaoh went to the river to bathe and discovered the ark. All right, now let me just stop. I need to point something out to you. You're going to see this several times through the Old Testament. Another instance is Bathsheba. At night, it said that she went to bathe. Okay? Now, we, in our modern minds, because we have bathtubs and uh, shower facilities right in our own homes. We think that she is obviously, uh, for instance, in Bathsheba's case, she must have been at home when, and he saw her from the rooftop. Actually, in their culture, you didn't have the capabilities of bathing in your own home. Okay, Not even like the settlers. Remember you watch some of the old westerns and they got a big tub in the room and everybody takes a bath in the same tub. That's not the way it was there. What they had was, was they went to places that, if there were a communal uh, pool or the river, and they bathed there. So here is the daughter of Pharaoh, who is royalty. They don't have shower facilities or, or tubs or whatever, even in the palace. She goes down to the river with her handmaidens to bathe. Now, we're not talking a swimming trip, Okay. We're talking she's going down to take care of her hygiene. So she went to the river to bathe, and she discovered the ark. Isn't that interesting? Do you think that's a coincidence? No, it's not a coincidence, is it? She saw the child and had compassion on him when she recognized him as a Hebrew. So when she saw the child, she had compassion. And why would she have compassion? Because she immediately she recognizes it's what? A Hebrew baby. And why would she have compassion? Well, she knows what the law is. What is the law? All male babies are to be what? Killed by being cast into the river. But she had compassion on the child. All right? Now this is where the story is different than what you sometimes will The Bible story, the Bible narrative is sometimes different than what you will see in a movie, okay? Because it's very interesting. In the movie, you'll see then is that the princess will take the child and raise him in Pharaoh's house, and so he'll grow up to be an Egyptian prince. Well, that may very well be true, but that's not what the text is saying here. What you'll see here is we look at the text, It's very interesting because here's what happens. She sent for a Hebrew woman to nurse the child, and he was given to his mother. All right, so the baby is—you know—who knows how long the baby's been in the in this ark by the river? You think it's hungry? The princess discovers the baby, has compassion on it. You think it's what? What do babies do when they're hungry? Cry, okay? Now, the princess probably hasn't born children, can't nurse, so what does she do? It's a Hebrew baby. What do we need to get? A Hebrew woman to nurse it. Who happens to be nearby? Miriam, the sister. I know somebody, okay? And so the child then is given to its actual mother to what? To care for. Now this time, to be honest with you, does she need, does the mother need to worry about Moses being killed now? No, because Pharaoh's daughter is saying, take care of this child. Now here's the point. Probably that child would stay with its own mother until it was weaned which would be anywhere from 3 to 6 years, okay? 3 to 6 years in that culture. So so very the very first part, he's basically living with his own family under the protection of what? The Pharaoh's daughter. Okay, isn't that amazing how God worked that out? Okay? Isn't that amazing how God worked that out? So the baby would grow up knowing its own what? Siblings. Did you understand what I'm saying? Knowing its own siblings. So let's go on here now. When the child grew, he was brought to Pharaoh's daughter and became her son. Now, this is the part of the story you don't see in the movies. When the child grew, that is, when he got to the place of being weaned, he was then brought to Pharaoh's daughter and she officially. You want to use the term adopted? Whatever. He then became her son. Okay? He then became her son. And she named the child Moses. She's the one who gave the child a name. And the name she gave to the child was Moses because she drew him out of the water. That's what Moses means. Remember When they named their children, it usually reflected what was going on at the moment. Okay, Usually reflected what was going on at the moment. So she named the child Moses because she drew him out of the water. Okay, so now we're going to move from there to where Moses is older. Now, it's going to be interesting, because when he leaves Egypt, they, they assume he's about 40 years old. Okay? So, let's stop for a moment. At verse 11, he's 40. At verse 5 through 10, he's a child who's just been weaned. So the scripture doesn't tell you anything about what? His background, his life. Well, wait a minute, George. I saw the cartoon version of Moses. Or I saw Charlton Heston. Or I saw uh, Christian Bale, the re- more recent. Yeah, that's all, can I be honest with you, artistic liberty. Okay? That's all somebody trying to fill in the pieces. Do you understand? Well, you know, Charlton Heston, he would had a sweet thing going with, you know, this girl, this Egyptian girl. That's all artistic liberty. That's not in the scripture. Okay? All right? It's not in the scripture. What we want to do is focus on what the scripture is saying. All right? So then you come to verse 11. And we're going to see verses 11 through 15 that Moses flees. Now, this part of the story we do know. He flees from Egypt. All right? Seeing an Egyptian. So basically, what happens is, is he decides to go visit his brethren. Who are his brethren, folks? The Hebrews. He goes and visits his brethren and he sees a Hebrew being beaten by what? an Egyptian taskmaster. Seeing an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, Moses killed him and hid his body in the sand. Isn't that interesting? Now, you'll hear some preachers say that Moses had a sense of his destiny, that he was to be a deliverer. And so here he is, he is taking matters into his own hands and it didn't work. The text doesn't say that. That's just some preacher making that up out of his own mind, okay? How do I, actually, I don't think Moses realizes he is the deliverer yet. How can you say that? Watch when he interacts with God. Do you understand? He didn't have a sense of destiny. Here he sees, basically, someone beating another Hebrew, decides to take matters into his own hands, he kills the Egyptian, and what does he do? He buries him in the sand. The next day, isn't it interesting, the next day, the very next day, he's obviously still visiting among the Hebrews. Later, Moses is confronted with the killing when he tries to stop a quarrel among two Hebrews. He sees two Hebrews fighting. And so he wants to intervene and stop the fight. And one of them says, well, who do you think you are, knowing that you killed this Egyptian? So obviously Moses didn't do a good job, what? Covering up or or dealing with the fact that he had killed an Egyptian. Now, it's interesting. The very next thing happens is, is when Pharaoh seeks to kill him. Why does Pharaoh seek to kill him? Well, he killed an Egyptian. Now, the movies make it seem to be like some big turmoil. I mean... I think in the cartoon version, you know, Ramses, the son of Pharaoh, says we can cover this up, blah, blah, blah. That's all artistic liberty. The fact of the matter is, is Moses is a Hebrew. He killed an Egyptian. What's going to happen? They're going to kill him. Okay? Pharaoh seeks to kill him. When Pharaoh seeks to kill him, Moses flees and dwells in the land of Midian. Okay? He dwells in the land of Midian. Which is over near Canaan, folks. So he traveled a big distance to get there. Okay? Now <clears throat> here's what happens when he gets to Midian. He gets married. How does that happen? Well, there's a little bit of a story here. Moses, when he gets there, arrives at the well where the Jethro, the priest of Midian, who has seven daughters, who are shepherdess. We're taking care of his flock. And when they got there, I guess it was a daily ritual, the text seems to imply that the other shepherds, the men, basically watered their herds first, chased the girls away, watered their herds first. And uh, Moses is there. And it says that he stands up for the girls, the daughters. Now, what do you think? That's an interesting word, stands up for. What do you think that means? Huh? Yeah, I mean, he, yeah it basically means he probably physically took care of the issue. Do you understand? And then he proceeds to what? Water their herds, okay? Now, remember it is an agrarian culture where hospitality means a lot. So the girls go back to their dad with their flocks and the dad's like, "Boy, you guys are here early today." You're here early today from watering. What happened? Well, there was this Egyptian, and he, he took care of us. And then the dad says, you need to bring him to our home. Why? Because he's showing what? Hospitality. Okay? Hospitality. Now, Moses was content to live with the priest of Midian. So this guy's a priest. All right? And he took his daughter Zipporah as his wife. So he settles into the life of being a shepherd. Now, here's the interesting thing. Moses spent, are you ready for this, 40 years in Midian. Okay? 40 years. So the first 40 years we see in the first 10 verses. Then he spends 40 years in Midian. What does he do for 40 years in Midian? Well, Zipporah gave birth to a son whom Moses named Gershom. She actually gave birth to two sons, we'll see later on. And again, he named him Gershom, and if you look at the text, it'll tell you why he named him Gershom, because it talked about him being away from Egypt. All right? So it was a name that reflected what was going on at that time. Now, now we get to verse 23 and we're going to see the call of Moses. So let me just stop for a moment. These 40 years in Midian, when he's age 40 going up to age 80, that's only covered by the latter half of chapter 2. So God obviously didn't need you to know about everything that goes on while he's living in Midian, right? You just need to know he has a son, he's married to Zipporah, he's shepherding sheep. Now we come to the call of God. Okay, and that's where we're going to spend the rest of our time. Because at this point, Moses, are you ready for this, is 80 years old. Wow. Wow. All right, now let's stop for a moment. Think about that. God waits till Moses is 80 to use him to deliver Egypt. I mean, deliver Israel from Egypt. Isn't that interesting? We often think, oh, what can I do? I'm so old now. God can't never use me. He used an 80-year-old guy. Did you know what I'm saying? The issue isn't when you think you're ready to be used, it's what? When God knows you're ready to be used, right? Okay? When God knows that you're ready to be used. Now do you do you think that the forty years in the desert with a bunch of sheep helped out Moses? Prepare him for Israel? Yeah, I do. Well, I know you don't, but I'll tell you why I do, okay? First of all, tell me why you don't. Because you dealing with sheep, not people. Yeah, but what does the scripture often refer to the people as? Sheep. Sheep, yeah, so he's used to dealing with dumb animals. When you look at what happens in the wilderness, the people are pretty what? Yes, okay, so he's learned what? Patience, okay? He's learned patience. In fact, isn't that one of the descriptions of Moses in the Bible? it says that Moses was what? The most patient man ever. You kind of have to be to deal with what he had to deal with later on. We're going to study that, okay? It's interesting. So let's look at the call of God, because this is where I think we're going to answer this thing about Moses having a sense of destiny. I don't think he did. Because you're going to see how he interacts with God here, okay? So... Let's first of all. First of all, the acknowledgement of Israel. We see that in verses 23 and 25. All right, because here's the thing. If you are the Israelites and you have been in slavery in Egypt for who knows how long, because you've been there 400 and some years, and things aren't getting better, would you think that God has given up on you? Would you think God's given up on you? Yeah, of course. Why? How do I know that? Because you maybe have gone through your little thing that only lasted two months, and even when you went through that little thing that lasted two months, you thought God abandoned you, right? Think about how they're feeling. After Pharaoh died, the children of Israel cried out to the Lord because of their bondage. So the Pharaoh, remember, this is the Pharaoh who pronounced a death sentence on all the baby boys. This is the Pharaoh who who created the xenophobic attitude that they needed to deal with uh, the Israelites before they uh, overpower them or overtake them or something. So that Pharaoh dies, and the children of Israel cry out to the Lord because of their what? Their bondage. Now here's the interesting thing. The text is very clear about this. God heard their groanings, and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. God heard their groanings and remembered, what? His covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now this is a powerful point. Now, I want you to hear me because there is a principle here for you and I. There is an application for you and I here. Do you think God hears you when you cry out to him because you are in distress because of whatever you're going through right now? Yeah. Now, sometimes it feels like he does not because you're continuing to go through it, right? Here it says that God heard and he remembered. What did he remember? He remembered the covenant that he made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, folks, when he hears you, do you think God remembers the covenant he made with you? What do you mean, what covenant? Well, when you got saved, you entered into a new covenant with who? Christ. Did you understand what I'm saying? You became his child. See, God remembers the covenant every time he deals with you. Do you understand what I'm saying? The covenant of salvation that you have with him. He may not answer immediately, but that doesn't mean he's forgotten you doesn't mean that he's forgotten the covenant that he has with you. You and I have entered into a covenant when we got saved. You understand? So God heard their groanings and remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And here's the other thing that I think is amazing because the text makes this point. The Lord looked upon the children of Israel and acknowledged them. Now why is that important? Well, okay. You ever gone through something and you've got a superior or you've got your mom and dad and maybe you've got a... Okay, let's use family. you got you got a thing going on with your brothers and sisters and, you know, maybe maybe one brother's... Maybe the older brother or older sister's picking on you and being mean to you. And, and you're like, I wish mom would take care of this. I wish she knew what was going on. You know what I'm saying? I wish she was paying attention. And... Sometimes we're like, oh, no, 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 what's going on? I don't see it. You know, because the brother's like, ah, you know. Till one day, mom acknowledges, right? Yeah, mom acknowledges. Or dad acknowledges. How did you feel when you got acknowledged? Good, right? What this text is saying, he not just heard the grumbling. He didn't just remember the covenant, he acknowledged what was going on. Do you understand? He acknowledged the plight they were in. He acknowledged the difficulty that they were going through. And it kind of gives you the sense here with that word acknowledged that he's going to do something. The word acknowledged there gives you the sense that he's going to do something about it. Okay? So we get back to Moses now. He's 80 years old. He led the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, to Horeb, the mountain of God. Now, in the Bible, Horeb is mentioned by two different names. It's mentioned by Horeb, Mount Horeb, or it's mentioned by Mount Sinai. So it's in the Sinai Peninsula, okay? So he led the flock of his father-in-law, Jethro, to Mount Horeb. Now, let's stop for a moment. If Moses is 80, how old is his father-in-law? He's probably pretty old, okay? All right? Now, here's where the story is interesting because none of the movies bring this out, and this is what you need to understand. The angel of the Lord appeared to Moses in a flame of fire in the midst of a bush. The angel of the Lord Appeared to Moses in a flame of fire. All right, let's stop for a moment. Remember, we've talked about the angel of the Lord before when we went through Genesis. Who is the angel of the Lord, folks? I hear, I'm getting old and I can't hear anymore. What the pre incarnate Christ. Yes, that's right, Bruce. It's, it's the second person of the Trinity. Before his incarnation, where he becomes as a human, this is God. All right? This is God. Okay? So, that's the thing you need to realize. It's not just a voice coming out of a burning bush like you see in the movie. This is God in the form of a fire. Now, you say, wow, that's weird. No. Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes upon them in what? Cloves of what? Fire. So God has taken this form before. Okay. All right. I right. need to make a point here. <clears throat> Outside of Acts chapter 2 where it's cloves of fire, like flames of fire resting on each person's head, how many other times in the Bible does God speak to somebody out of a bush as a fire? No, here's the principle: God doesn't always show up the same way every time. So don't don't be like God. Speak to me out of the fireplace. He isn't going to do that. Did you understand what I'm saying? God shows up one way. He doesn't always. Show, he doesn't. It, the principle is: you never see him doing that again. Okay, you never see him doing that again. This caught Moses's attention. In fact. The next part is, is seeing the bush that was not consumed, Moses turned aside to see it. So he's obviously there with the sheep, and he sees this bush on fire. And went, let me let be me honest, he, he lives in the desert. If a bush catches on fire, how long is it going to last? Not long. So he sees this fire in his bush, but the bush isn't consumed by the fire. So he's like, this is weird. I'm going to check this out, okay? He goes over to check it out. Talk about freaking you out, okay? The Lord called to Moses from the fire, and he responded that he was there. The Lord spoke to him, and Moses said, I'm here. I'm here, okay? Moses responds that he's here. The Lord called Moses to remove his sandals because the place was holy. The ground in which you are is holy. Now let's stop for a moment. Some people will say, well, that's because Mount Sinai or Mount Horeb is a holy place. No, no, folks, why was the place holy? Because of the presence of God was there. Do you understand what I'm saying? You're in the presence of God, all right? So that where God is, that's a holy place. All right? So take your shoes off. You're in the presence of God. So the Lord identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The Lord identified himself as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That's Moses' forefathers. Okay? Okay? the Lord stated that he saw Israel's plight and he came down to deliver them from Egypt. I, you know, I remember as a younger Christian reading that and I'm thinking, God saying, I saw their plight and I'm going to deliver them. The very next thing is I'm sending you. Whoa. Moses, You're sent? I mean, you said you were going to do it. No, God's going to do it through who? human agents. He's still doing that today, right? Okay. God's going to save people, but he uses human agents, right? He uses us. God's going to see that people hear the gospel. What's he going to do? Have a interstellar intercom system and let everybody? No, no. He uses us. We're the voice boxes, right? We're the ones who share, Okay. So he's making a statement, I'm going to deliver my people. And he stated that he was sending Moses to bring Israel out of Egypt. He's going to bring the people out of Egypt. Now, here's how Moses responds to God. Because you and I do the same thing, all right? Moses questioned who he was to go to Pharaoh and deliver Israel. Like, who, me? Me? You want me to do what? I'm just a shepherd. For 40 years I've been dealing with sheep and goats. Me? This is why I don't think that Moses has that sense of being the deliverer, okay? Because he immediately tries to get out of it. He immediately says, God, I'm not the one who's able to do this. Now, I want you to notice how God responds to it. God, if you talk about Moses being patient, God's patient, right? And we know that's true because he's patient with us, right? So God promised that he would go with Moses and that they will worship him on Mount Horeb. Now, here's two interesting things that God does. God says, Moses, I'm promising you two things. Number one, I'm going to go with you. Well, that's a nice promise. You're going to go with me, but you're telling me to go to Pharaoh and bring Egypt, Israel out of Egypt, so you're going to go with me. Wonderful. But he gives him a second promise that will give him some assurance. He says to him, and Israel will what? Worship me, if you look at the text, on this mountain. What's he promising him? He's promising him, this is going to happen. You're going to bring them out, and they're going to worship me. Israel is going to worship me on this mountain. You think that's a promise? It's not just, I'm with you. This is going to happen, Moses, and you're going to bring the people back here and worship me on this mountain. That's a good assurance, isn't it? Okay? Pretty good assurance. Ready to go do it, right? Right? Not for Moses. What happens now? Well, Moses raised the issue that Israel will question who sent him. Well, okay, Lord, you're going to be with me. You're going to tell me that they're going to come here. But what if Israel says, "Who are you? And who sent you?" You mean what do you mean? I mean, it's a natural question. What if they don't believe me? Right? You ever had that? You know, I'm, you feel like God's telling you to go, what if they don't listen to me? Okay? The Lord revealed himself as I am who I am and that he has sent Moses. Now, this is the most intimate name of God. In the Hebrew, it is Yahweh. He reveals himself himself as Yahweh, his most intimate name. In fact, it was so intimate that the Jews themselves would not write this name down. They saw it as so holy, they would not write this name down. What they wrote down, first of all, Hebrew does not have vowels. It's a consonant language. It has, And, you, and the way things are, are listed in the Hebrew, you can understand the word. So when they wrote this down, they would always translate it as Jehovah. You wonder where Jehovah came from, right? All right. Jehovah. Because they would not say Yahweh, the most intimate name of God. In fact, remember when Jesus was being interrogated by the high priest and he asked him, Are you the Son of God? How did Jesus reply? I am. And of course, you see the reaction of the high priest. He what? Gets all freaked out, tears his clothes. We've heard the blasphemy now because the high priest recognized that Jesus is claiming to be who? God. Okay? So he's saying to Moses, Moses, if they ask you who sent you, you tell him, I am who I am. And I have sent you. That's his most intimate name. Okay? Most intimate name. Moses was to relay that God was calling Israel to himself. He says, I want you to go tell him that I am calling Israel to myself. Moses was also to tell them that God will do wonders among the Egyptians. So here we see a foreshadowing of what's to come. God is saying, you know what? I'm going to do some mighty things among the Egyptians. You're going to see me do these mighty things. Folks, when we look at the ten plagues, we're going to see that God did some amazing things. Okay? Amazing things. Moses now raises another question. I mean, do you think he's ready to go now? Like, oh yeah, I'm ready. No, Moses isn't ready. Well, what if they don't believe me? He raises he raised the issue concerning the possibility that he will not be believed. That's legitimate, right? It's not just that they won't hear you, but okay, well, they're hearing you, but they're not believing you. So he raises a legitimate concern. So the Lord showed Moses signs that he was to show, to prove his calling. Of course, of course, the rod of God becoming a snake, the leprous hand, you know, putting his hand in his bosom, bringing it out leprous. He was to do all of those things to prove who he was. All right? To prove who he was. Moses objected. Now, now we're back to, okay, Moses, I'm going to be with you. You guys are going to come here on the mountain. Moses. I am who I am, and you just tell them that I am sent you, Moses, I'm giving you these signs to prove that I'm sending you, Moses says, I'm not a good speaker. I'm slow of tongue. I don't know how to speak. Okay, so Moses objected that he did not have the ability to speak. Okay? Okay. Interesting, isn't it? The Lord affirmed his sovereignty and angrily stated that Aaron will be his spokesman. The Lord affirmed his sovereignty. How? He says, Moses, who created the tongue? I'm the creator. I'm the one who gave people the ability to speak. But since you, your, your brother Aaron will be your spokesman. And that's what you see here is that Aaron is the spokesman from this point on. Now, Moses returned and asked Jethro to be released to return to Egypt to see his brethren. So he goes to his father-in-law. I think it's interesting. He does this. Just one verse, but the one verse tells you a lot. It tells you that he doesn't tell his father-in-law his mission. He just says, I need to go see my brethren where? In In Egypt. Okay, So he asked for permission to be released. His father-in-law says, go in peace. Okay, Go in peace. The Lord assured Moses that those who sought his life in Egypt are dead. I mean, this has got to be weighing on Moses. Well, you know, if I go back there, they're going to arrest me and kill me for that murder 40 years before. And so the Lord assured him, hey, the guys who were after you, They're all dead now. Nobody remembers. Okay? They're all dead. Moses left with his wife and family and took the rod of God with him. So he left with his wife, Sapporah, and his two sons on a donkey, and he took the rod of God with him. Now, this is where the story gets really interesting. We're going to, because I've got to wrap this up here. Okay? Moses, the Lord told Moses that he will harden Pharaoh's heart. So by the way, Moses, when you go there and you tell them to leave, it isn't going to be easy, because I'm going to harden Pharaoh's heart. Okay? I'm just going to let you know this beforehand. So he's warning Moses before you go, this is what to expect. Moses was to tell Pharaoh to release Israel or he will kill Egypt's firstborn. So this is already in the plan beforehand. You're going to tell him, let, me, let Israel go, and if you don't, ultimately your firstborn will die. So as Moses journeyed to Egypt, the Lord met Moses and sought to kill him. I remember the first time I read this, I was like, what? What? Now that wasn't in the movie either, folks. You hear the call of God in the movie. He goes, and he's in Egypt, the next scene. Here, he's on his way. God meets him, and God wants to kill him. At first, as a young Christian, I remember struggling. like, Well, God, you just told him to go. He's doing what you asked him to do. Why are you wanting to kill him? Does anybody else think that's kind of weird? That doesn't make sense, right? Actually, it does when you see what happens, because the text tells you that his wife Zipporah had to do something. Zipporah circumcised Moses' son, and the Lord releases him. Whoa, what's going on here? Well, Moses didn't circumcise his sons. What was the sign of the covenant for the Hebrews? Hebrews? Circumcision. It was a command, wasn't it, from God? That on the eighth day they were to what? Circumcise their boys to be signifying that they are a part of what? Uh, The covenant people. So here's Moses going to, quote, deliver the covenant people, but his own son isn't what? Circumcised. So God seeks to kill him because of his what? Disobedience. Disobedience. Now, this is a powerful thing I need you to wrestle with. Could it be possible that God, even though he knows what he wants to do with you, even though he tells you what to do with you, he can still seek to chastise you because maybe you're not right with him in whatever area? Yeah. text very clearly says that. In fact, doesn't Hebrews say that? He scourges every son that he what? Loves. Did you understand what I'm saying? You know, we, we have this concept that I'm saved now, I'm okay with God, so God's never going to deal with me. No, no, God still deals with you to bring you to where you need to be so he can what? Use you. Use you. And so that's what we see here. The Lord sent Aaron to meet Moses, and they met with the elders of Israel. So God sends Aaron to meet Moses on the journey, because why? Aaron's supposed to be the spokesman now, right? And then they come to Egypt and they meet with the elders of Israel. The elders believe Moses and they worship the Lord. Why did they worship the Lord? Because they recognized that what? God had heard their what? Groanings. By the way, can I ask you a question? We'll end with this. Remember I told you that we sometimes feel that God has abandoned us when we're in the midst of difficulties and struggles? When God does answer, do you take time to stop for a moment and worship him because he did answer? He did intervene? Do you know what I'm saying? I'll be honest with you. I have to admit that a lot of times I don't even do that. I just kind of like that one's over. Let's move on, and I don't acknowledge God for what He did because remember, I was just crying out to Him, God, why aren't you dealing with this? The elders, when they heard that Moses had come, sent by was sent by God to deliver them, they what? They bowed their head and what? Worshiped God. Pretty interesting, isn't it? Okay.